Playfield and Associates is based in Sydney on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to Gadigal elders and to traditional custodians of country throughout Australia. From Clayfield and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. Episode 86, and this week it was a real pleasure to speak with Kira Clark, Principal Research Fellow, Skills and Training, in the Youth Opportunity Team, Social Policy and Research Centre at the Brotherhood of St Lawrence. And if that's not a busy enough role, Kira is also the president of AVETRA, the Australasian Vet Research Association. With all of the focus on higher education at the moment, given the high profile nature of the accord process, I think it's important that we don't forget that major VET reforms are being discussed between Commonwealth and state and territory uh, ministers as they finalise their negotiations on the next national skills agreement. Their discussions and that new multi-year agreement are hopefully likely to cover key issues like equity and how VET can help prepare learners better for the jobs of the future. And you'll hear in my interview with Kira that these are some of the key areas of focus for the team at the Brotherhood of St Lawrence. And with the annual Avetra conference happening at the end of this month, we also took the opportunity to discuss the focus of the conference and some of the topics and speakers that Kira is looking forward to. If you haven't registered yet and you still want to, uh, you can always, of course, watch back at a later date if you have registered. Then I'll include the registration details in the notes for this episode. And just to be really transparent, I should add that I'm obviously only spruiking this conference because I started the podcast to encourage more discussions in the sector and to showcase what different people and organisations are doing. Avetra is another organisation making an important contribution to the debates happening in the sector, and hence I'm really happy to help Kira give it a plug. And now here she is. As I say, whenever I introduce one of my lovely guests, it is my great pleasure to be joined on the podcast this week by Kira Clark, who is both the Principal Research Fellow Skills and Training at the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, and as if she didn't have enough going on, she's also the president of AVETRA, the Vet Researchers Association. So Kira, thank you very much for making time in what is no doubt unusually even busier than usual calendar because you've got the Avetra conference coming up quite soon. But let's start off, as I usually do, by asking you to tell us a little bit about your background and your role in the sector. So tell us about a bit about your career as well as your current roles at the Brotherhood and with Avetra. Thanks so much, Claire. It's it's really great to have the opportunity to talk to you and to to nerd out on all things vet. One of my favourite things to do. <laughs> so, look, my my entry into vet research really began very early on in my time working in the tertiary sector. More than fifteen years working at the University of Melbourne. During my time, I worked in sort of a range of different research centres that were variously focused on post compulsory education policy. 
vet, tertiary education, those sorts of things. And a lot of the work during those early years came through commissioned projects for state governments. So things like tracking studies for school completers for Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, reviews of funding models and student secondary school resourcing models, and a lot of work on vet in schools and longitudinal tracking of vocational pathways. And so I guess that was sort of really where I was drawn to not just a focus on adult and vocational education and training, but a focus on equity and disadvantage within VET. I've been doing a lot of reflecting lately, as as many people have been doing during the pandemic and beyond, and really reflecting on what a gift it was doing work at that early stage in my career that combined sort of theoretical foundation, like rigorous theoretical foundation, but being a lot of commissioned work for government also had a very pragmatic policy-oriented research design and it was very much reported and a lot of the dissemination we did was very much focused on solutions and, and policy implications. And I know today in growing and developing my my own young team, that opportunity to develop that cross-section of research capabilities in vocational education in a university setting is really not that common. So during my time at the university, it was mostly in the Graduate School of Education as a teaching and research lecturer in education policy. I had so many opportunities to visit a range of Australian and international education settings and explore a range of policy challenges in things like apprenticeships, vet in schools, re-engagement settings in VET for early school leavers and TVET in developing countries like Myanmar. I also worked alongside and had the great fortune to learn from some of the, the great thinkers in educational sociology and its application to vocational education. My first mentor, Professor Jack Keating, the, the fabulous Lisa Wheelahan, and people like John Polisell, Richard Teese, Veronica Volkoff. And that really established my, my long-term career trajectory, I think, an ambition to really build a career around policy-focused and policy-oriented research. And it still informs my, my approach today. Um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of credit also has to go to the funding that came out of NCVR, the National Centre for Vocational Education Research. There were some really big and exciting projects through the 2000s and early 2010s on equity and inclusiveness in TAFE, a big three-phase piece of work that Lisa Willihan and John Buchanan led that included people like Damien Oliver and Gavin Moody on vocations that's still a very highly regarded and often talked about piece of work today. So the ripple effects of all those opportunities really still inform my thinking and the type of work that I'm drawn to in vet research today. For the last several years of my time at the university, I was heavily involved in initial teacher education which was one of my passions for making sure that soon-to-graduate secondary school teachers really had an understanding of apprenticeships and VET and those other post-school pathways beyond university. And I think it was one of the only opportunities they had often to be exposed to something beyond a university pathway and to know that they were going to take that information into their classrooms to expose their students to that was a real joy for being able to convert my research into teaching during that time. You mentioned my my work with Avetra, and it was during my time at university that I had the opportunity to travel to some international conferences. And there's there's one particular year I remember going to the UK to both the Scotrea conference in Glasgow and the JVET conference in Oxford, and recognizing that almost fifty percent of the delegates of both conferences were Australian vet researchers. So it was not long after this that I really started to become quite involved with Avetra and connect. To the Yvetra community 
and have really drawn a lot of inspiration from, you know, both new middle career and established researchers in Avetra and there's sort of the deep critical thinking and passion for strengthening and promoting and engaging in VET. So I've been a member of the executive almost since then and was lucky enough to be elected vice president in 2020 and work alongside the then president, Stephen Hodge, and then to be elected president for a two-year term in 2022. So it's been an interesting couple of years. Yeah, I got itchy feet in about 2019, made the decision to move across to the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence's Social Policy and Research Centre. I'd already been collaborating with few colleagues there, including the director, Professor Shelley Mallett, on some small NCVR projects looking at early school leavers in the vet sector. So I was really, I was looking for an opportunity to sort of continue connecting my research work in VET to practical and policy implications. But I think I was really looking for an opportunity to get into a much more sort of collaborative sort of nexus space. And that's really what I found working here Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, as you mentioned, working in the skills and training space, working with a really great young team and leading a whole program of work on things like skills for the green transition, place-based skills ecosystems. And yeah, I think it's it's a really exciting time to be working in that in that space and coming out of the pandemic. All, all the spotlights that are on skills and training at the moment make it a really great time to be doing this type of work. Brilliant. Now, I wanted to dig, if we can, a bit deeper into, sorry, before we do that, I should say what an amazing career you've had so far and what some fabulous people that you've been, you know, really lucky work with and them lucky to work with you too. A question about the work that you're currently doing at the Brotherhood. So those projects that you're working on at the moment sound fascinating. And I wondered if we could dig a bit deeper. Given the students and people that the brotherhoods provide support for can you talk us through some of the issues and how well or not the vet sector is currently working for more disadvantaged people and if it's not working all that well what are the kind of changes that are needed yeah thanks Claire I think you know it's a big question and it's one that really drives a lot of the work that I'm doing. Look, I guess there, there are a range of structural barriers that we see for the people that we work with that are experiencing either long-term unemployment or marginalisation in both the education landscape and in the labour market landscape itself, who may not have had opportunities to succeed in education or to access paid work. Access to housing and transport is always a really big one, particularly for young people beginning their working lives those who live in regional, remote and those sort of outer urban areas and some of those transport and, and rental deserts, health and well-being and its implications for access to training and to continued engagement and completion of training. It's another challenge we hear about all the time. We did a suite of interviews, actually, with disadvantaged vet learners for the Macklin Review a few years back. This was during COVID, during sort of the height of the lockdowns, and we consistently heard about the, the reliance on their TAFE teachers, their individual trainers, their vet teachers for that additional support because for many of them, if they were in lockdown, their vet teacher, if they were doing online training, was, was one of their main contacts outside their family and friends. For those who were feeling really isolated, we heard from those those learners how vital that connection to their training provider and their trainers were. But we also heard from those those vet teachers the added burden and, and challenge that was to support and keep those learners engaged. And I think since the, the major lockdowns have lifted, 
we've we've really observed and seen a continuation of those high rates of health and well-being conditions being a real challenge and barrier to, to successful completion and engagement in learning. One of the ways that we're really thinking about it at the moment is through this five C's framework that, that we're about to publish and have been working on for a while. We're, we've seen big rebound in commencements being the first C in training. A lot of the, the current policy levers around free TAFE, subsidised TAFE has really supported an an increase in commencements. But when we look at continuation and staying engaged, when we look at completion, when we look at conversion of training into a job outcome, and when we look at career mobility and continuity, we don't see the same benefits from VET and training for disadvantaged learners in particular. We know completion rates pretty low and very low compared to international systems. We know that the conversion rates particularly for disadvantaged learners, aren't great, taking their training and turning it into decent work and secure work. And we also know from a lot of the work the Productivity Commission has done in recent years that we've seen a real wage stagnation and a lack of career mobility, particularly for young people, you know, up to their early 30s. Increased investment in tertiary education and in VET isn't translating to upward mobility or even diagonal mobility in their careers. So I think, you know, there's lots of evidence on the way in which the system, the current system isn't functioning well. There's obviously a huge range of different reforms happening nationally at the different states and territory levels. I think one of the areas I'm really interested in seeing more change and more innovation for big payoff is in the employment-based training space. We actually have such low rates of employment-based training compared to some international systems. And it's really pleasing to see that there's some appetite for really modernizing and innovating the apprenticeship and traineeship models. There's, I think, a lot of room for growth in new forms of employment-based training, shorter run, that don't sort of lock young people into or those beginning their career into those long-term commitments, but also ones that start with a, a slightly wider base. They don't focus on a single occupation, but look at sort of broad-based introductions into particular industries. We're doing a great piece of work in the southwest of Victoria at the moment, trying to test that idea in agriculture. So rather than locking locking them into sort of a single occupational path, starting out broad and giving them sort of entree into range of different directions they could take it in agriculture, both on farm and off farm. So yeah, I think there's that that's the big area I'd like to see some real innovation and, and risk taking in terms of reform is an employment-based training. Sounds really interesting. I will keep an eye out for that with some some real interest. And another point that you've drawn me to in amongst all the other points you made was really where you started and I guess thinking about the extra ask of staff in the vet sector. We've probably overlooked that a bit, I think. There's been a big discussion about university staff and both their remuneration and conditions, but I think, and you know, how much extra they needed to do during COVID. But I think we probably haven't had enough of that conversation within the vet sector, that additional support that they were providing, and particularly to students from from disadvantaged backgrounds. So some fascinating points. And I will look for the the 5C report and read that with interest because you're right. Commencement's in some ways the easy part. It's actually the the progress that people make through their course and and most crucially the employment opportunities at the end that we need to, to have a focus on as well. 
So we've talked a tiny bit about your role and work that you do at Avetra and your, your role currently as president. So for people who don't know, what is the association? Is it only for academics? What kinds of activities does it offer? Yeah, thanks, Claire. Look, I like to describe Avetra as a big tent association. So while it does have its historical roots, and it's been around for sort of two and a half decades now, it does have its historical roots in vet researchers within higher education and tertiary institutions. It's open to all researchers in a vet. So that could be vet teachers who are running their own project in their training provider, trying to track the impact of a change they've made in the curriculum, who might be interested in connecting with other like-minded vet teachers and vet practitioners to share and develop their research skills. It might be research students in university faculties in education, in business and economics, or other applied faculties who are doing scholarly research or applied research and, and want to meet up and connect with other other students or with also established researchers. It might be policymakers. We have a lot of research and data managers from different corporations, different environments. It might be the data managers from the new jobs and skills councils or government departments. So a big tent association open to all comers. In terms of, you know, what the association offers and the sorts of things we like to do, we have an annual conference, as you've pointed to, is coming up shortly in April. We run online webinars. Uh, we've we've had a long-standing tradition of something called OctoberVet, which, despite the name, actually runs from late September to early November and is a series of both face-to-face and online workshops and webinars and sessions that are run across the country in in research centres, by TAFEs, by other vet providers, by policymakers, to really bring us all together as a vet research community to share our research, to talk through some of the, the big challenges facing the sector, whether that's, you know, equity in vet, whether it's the role of industry and industry peak bodies in partnership collaboration, whether it's qualifications reform, uh, whether it's place-based partnership approaches, uh, all of these sorts of topics and more show up at the October Vet series. We also have a journal, the International Journal of Training Research, which is currently edited by Sir Rogini Troy and Selena Chan and published through Taylor and Francis. Which which is a really exciting piece of, of, of Vetra, an opportunity for all of those, all of those type of vet researchers I mentioned before to publish in, um, but also circulated amongst the, the Vetra community to sort of keep spotlighting and showcasing, you know, the emerging ideas in the sector as the sector changes, as the Australian economy changes. Great to see the the new faces, the new names, the new ideas that are coming through in the vet research. Brilliant. And I think a real opportunity for people who haven't had much to do with a veteran before. And I'm thinking also of, in, a, in addition to all of those people that, you know, you've identified different kinds of roles in the sector, but also state and Commonwealth government officials. We have a range of generalists, some of whom listen to the show, who are quite new to the sector and may not be across the depth of research and capability that that there is. And so the upcoming conference, if I was here in Australia, I would be going too. Sadly, I'm not. So I'll just have to watch back on replay. But for people who are thinking about maybe, maybe not, will I, won't I, should I, talk us through what what's the focus of the conference this year? 
who were some of the keynote speakers, and we'll obviously include a link to, you know, the the conference page in the notes for this episode. So it's on the end of April, and who can people hear from and what are they going to be talking about? Yeah, thanks, Claire. So the conference kicks off on the 27th and the 28th of April. We have half a day of pre-conference workshops on the 26th. For people like yourself who can't attend either in person or online at the time, if people do register for the online registration, they'll have access to, to all the recordings later on so they can watch when they do have the chance. We thought long and hard about the theme for this conference because it's, you know, it's been a long couple of years with people unable to gather face to face. And so the conference committee really debated the focus and we've, we've, um, we've taken the easy way out and we've gone with three key themes. So the theme is vet challenging times. So looking backwards at sort of how the system has changed, how vet itself has been transformed and impacted by, you know, the global financial crisis, economic crisis and the pandemic. The second theme is challenges of our time. So what are some of the transformations we're seeing post-pandemic in terms of, you know, social transformation, economic recovery, shifts in the architecture of the system with the, with the policy reforms that are going on, with qualifications reform, the foundational skills review, digital skills review. And the final theme is challenges that lie ahead. So really looking at the, the next industrial transformation, its implications for what skills workers are going to need in the 5, 10, 15 years ahead. And of course, a really big part of that is looking at climate change and the green transition. We know there's been a, a lot of discussion around carbon neutrality, but also looking at the challenges related to circularity. So, you know, a really wide range of themes being explored at the conference this year. We're really excited about the lineup, actually. We, we wanted to, to go all out with this being the first sort of face-to-face big conference since 2019. We've got an in-person address from the Federal Minister for Skills and Training, Brendan O'Connor, a keynote address on day one from Professor Peter Dawkins, who's the Interim Director of the New Jobs and Skills Australia. We're going to be joined by Professor Ray Cooper for an address from the University of Sydney, the Director of the Mitchell Institute, Associate, Associate Professor Peter Hurley, I'm really looking forward to the keynote address from Professor P. Shen Seat from Edith Cowan University, who's a real expert on entrepreneurship and innovation and its connection to tertiary education. And then we've also got Dr. Katani Nair giving a keynote from she's at the Digital Skills Organization. So you've got the big, you've got the big name speakers and keynotes, but also we've got 30 papers from our community, from vet researchers from across Australia and internationally, and a lineup of great panels. I think I'm particularly excited for a panel that long-term veteran member, Professor Michelle Simons, is going to convene. She's the Dean of Education at Western Sydney University, and she's chairing a panel looking at how do institutions actually build research capability for VET. So whether that's tertiary institutions, VET institutions, private, public, industry institutions, what does it look like to build that VET research capability? As you say, whether it's generalist, whether it's sort of looking more broadly or whether it's like deep in particular particular industry sectors, particular areas. So, yeah, there's still time to register if anyone's listening to this before Anzac Day. We've got both face-to-face and online registrations available. We've got a, an awards cocktail reception right in the heart of NAM in Melbourne that we're looking forward to just, you know, getting together, seeing each other face-to-face and celebrating everything that's good 
and inspiring about Australia's vet community. And what a lovely, lovely note to end on. I really am even more missing the fact that I won't be able to to be there. It's going to be terrific few days. And I think it'll be fascinating to see the work that comes out of it, the collaboration and the partnerships, the publications, and how that informs vet reform, as well as vet practice into, you know, the the short to medium term future. Kira, it is always a great pleasure to speak with you. And I always learn such a lot. And this chat has been no different whatsoever thank you so much for making the time available and all the very best with the conference thanks so much claire great to talk to you as always 